Now she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa. She's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. It's mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of being so long lived that you actually were able to see everybody opening night in concert. I remember discovering soup. Dirt whippersnapper. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. We are this week uh, kind of doing a twofer. Uh, we are talking about the uh, advantages and disadvantages of being long-lived, uh, as in like immortal, okay, and also some of the issues that come up with time travel because in a lot of ways they're the same, you know. Be, um, and we'll we'll get into where they are the same and where they differ later on. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret, even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Year 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. It's available from Tritag Games at tritaggames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Year 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. But I'm, I'm sure there's lots of skills. Like, um, it, let's say you were a painter, okay? Um, the, you know, the ways of making paints. You know, uh, they come. You know, they, they sooner or later, that technology. Unless, of course, you, you you get into the business of actually teaching people ancient knowledge. You know, um, the somehow make it convince everybody that the old ways are the better ways. Uh, you're going to end up with something that basically nobody wants. You know, a skill nobody cares about because they'd rather just go out and get you know something that was manufactured for consistency and 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 availability. If you really want those br- brilliant whites, you need lead oxide. I can bring in something <laughs> about this. One of my gamers, mm-hmm. uh, her name is Carrie, is a stained glass artist. Mm. Now, from what she told me, 
back in the day, you know, when they were making the big church windows hundreds of years ago, various stained glass artists, they basically took their creative methods with them to the grave because they were so proprietary about how they made their stained glass that they didn't share it with anyone. There's hundreds of methods probably that have been lost to time because these people didn't write it down because they didn't, they wanted to corner the market with their own method. And I mean, Carrie has done a lot of research about this and just, yeah, these people were just closed lipped as far as Mm. um, the skill on how to mix the colors right and make the dyes for the colors. All this stuff died with them because they didn't want to tell it. Somebody who was immortal and may have spent 40 years working with stained glass may have access to all this stuff that we thought was lost to time. Yeah, unfortunately, some of those really, some of those colors, like, especially during certain periods, whenever you see a bright green Victorian dress, it's green from arsenic. (laughs) Yeah, she told me that there was a lot of dangerous stuff that, oh, no, no, she's told me that she has to, even today, has to deal with a lot of chemicals and stuff. I mean, Carrie does fantastic work. She did a stained glass window for, um, and John would know this, one of the Beaumont hospitals up here. Mm -hmm. She got paid a pretty penny for it. But yeah, she's telling me I'm having to work with this and this, and I'm I'm standing there in my living room looking at her, you know, looking at her hands and everything, just going, she goes, oh no, I have to wear gloves. I said, yeah, I know, remember where I work. But yeah, she tells me the stuff that they used to use was some pretty nasty stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was in the news not too long ago, a couple of years ago, here in the Seattle area, where they discovered uh, a, it was an artisanal shop where they made uh, stained glass. Well, it's, it's now a, um, a toxic – it's a, it's a – uh, it's, it's uh, oh, they use arsenic. They use lead. They use various chemicals. I mean, if you want if you want to get a white, white, lead oxide beats out titanium oxide. Sadly, it's lead oxide. <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, and then there's various things they do. I mean, uh, it, basically, the place is a toxic landfill. Now they basically had, they use so many chemicals. Yes, they use all the proper filters. The trouble is they weren't perfect, and they were near a school, and the school was oh, dumb. And no, no, no. yes, Ugh. oh god, yes, they were using arsenic. I mean, they still use. They were still using arsenic to get green glass. Because it's it's windows. They're not making they're not, they're not making drinking glasses, which you can't use it for. But you can still use it for paint you know, glass for for stained glass windows. Because it's it's a color green. It's really hard to get otherwise. Because it's got to be able to survive the melting process. Yeah. Most most of the petrochemical dyes we have these days don't survive. You have to go the mineral dyes, and a lot of those mineral dyes are also toxic heavy metals. You know, so yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of screwed if you want a bright green. Well, yeah, you gotta use arsenic for that bright green. <laughs> I forgot what you have to use for for oh, and red. Typically, it's either iron oxide or everyone's favorite metal, mercuric oxide. <laughs> Ugh, yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's wonders of modern chemistry, and that's something I think you know you you deal with a person. He you know 
he, you know, is, you, you know, depending on how they're how they on uh, how they're staying immortal or whatever, they may actually have lots, especially in their teeth and in maybe in their bones. They'll be able to prove they're immortal because you just do you do a bone sample and you realize there's chemicals in your bones that you should not have because no one uses those chemicals for the past hundred years. <laughs> yeah, that would be a good point, man. Just yeah. take that sample and they're like, "How did you get this in your system?" You know. But the, but you know, as you were talking about those chemicals, I mean, some of the you know, let's say you you know, as you're talking about glass, all those etching chemicals, those can have a really hard effect on your body over time. And now you're immortal. And those things are just going to keep adding on to you unless you've got some kind of super regeneration going on. This is something I actually can attest to because uh, after I graduated from school, I had a part-time job working at Oxford Metalizing. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, Trevor. Probably not. They no. basically they they would um, um, anodize they would anodize plastic parts. They look they look like they're made out of metal. Okay. And, and part of the process was cleaning the armatures that you would hang the, the the parts on in nitric acid. Oh. And I remember, you know, and I started getting nosebleeds within a week working at the nitric acid tank. Of course, if I had known better, I could have reported them to OSHA and shut them down because I should have had a face mask working in that tank. Nope, none was provided. I was never told. Oh, oh no. And to this day. My senses for certain odors and certain smells are just gone. Those nerves are just burned. Yeah, yeah, they were just burned out, you know. And I, you know, so a lot of times people say, "I got this lovely width of this and this," and going, "Nope, that's one of the ones I can't smell." Well, so I, I work like where my section is. It's right next to all of our batteries. If you've smelled like battery acid dust, and I had to pull batteries for a year and a half, so I smelled that every day. I know my sense of smell has been diminished due to that. So, yeah, I can only imagine somebody with, even if they had the regenerative abilities, unless the regenerative abilities flushed even that out of the system, there would still be traces of it in their system. And bones mostly. Yeah, in the bones, yeah. Well, I mean, you could pick up certain things. Well, no, because hair would regenerate after all. Bones, yeah, it, that would probably be the best place to get those type of chemical traces. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. hair, fingernails, all that, that stuff falls out and it regrows, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing that, yeah, there could be some really nasty stuff in, in an immortal person's system just because of the things that were around back then that we have since found um, safer alternatives for. Yeah. The, the, we were talking about, you know, people who can regenerate. And there's this uh, webcomic called uh, Strong, uh, Strong Female Protagonist. It's about supers and so forth. And one of the characters is a Wolverine type. She can regenerate. And she can regenerate from basically catastrophic damage. So to make up for her past and the damage she did to people, she's now a universal donor. They they oh. remove her they remove her lungs, they remove her liver, they remove her heart, and they grow back. Oh. <laughs> and if you're one of those type of immortals, there's that chance someone might say, "You know what? You grow things back. I need a new liver." 
and might try to have you. I mean, it's pretty much the plot line of the immortal. Forcefully donate it, yeah. Yeah, there was a TV series back in the seventies. I want to say sixties or seventies called The Immortal. The guy who had unique, he basically was immortal, thankfully to something unique in his blood. And there was this rich old guy who wanted his blood, and he knew he could just simply just keep on tapping, keep getting the blood, and, and, and stay alive forever. But so this guy's on the run from this rich old guy, hoping the old guy dies first before he gets captured. Uh, you know, stuff like that. You know, you, you, you know, when you're immortal, people will tend. I mean, you also know things that you may also know things that people want kept hidden or kept forgotten. You know. If you were involved in anything secret in World War II, there's still some people. There's still still some things that are still secret from World War II, and it may be years before they're ever, they're ever declassified. Yeah, and you know what they are. <laughs> you know, you're the you're the one person who can can blow the whistle on a bunch of people, and they may want to either you know keep you keep you under wraps, or they can't kill you because you're because you're true truly immortal. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, they put they'll put you in a box. You know. Do we need to feed you? Not really. Okay. And they'll let you out in a hundred years. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're the functional kind, yeah, you need to feed me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the big difference between the people who are magically immortal could probably they can probably walk walk underwater and get someplace because they don't need to breathe. People are functionally immortal. Yeah, I need a boat because I don't because I don't breathe water. <laughs> you know, still don't breathe water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still don't breathe water. Still need the air. You know. All right. Well, we've been talking an awful lot about all the physical things you know that are problems. Okay, but. You know, there's this thing that was uh, uh, Alvin Toffler back in the uh, 60s and 70s talked about, this thing called future shock, where everything seems to be in flux, where the, the mind theoretically becomes incapable of dealing with anything new because it's just had to deal with so much new. And uh, the more, the faster change happens, the more of a problem this would be. So, you know, how's our, you know, is this going to be something that our mortal has to deal with? Uh, because like I said, if he's, if he wants to be like, you know, if he, if he wants to always be where there's going to be, um, you know, th- the things happening so he can always say, yes, that was right there in the middle of history, doing this, talking to uh, Marie Antoinette, whatever. This person is basically setting themselves up for this to to be a real problem for them, where they literally are like, "I just can't deal with any more change." Do you think this is a real thing, or is this just something? You know, because some people don't don't really hold to to the future shock concept. No, unfortunately, looking at the current polls and so forth, yeah, we got a large number of people right now in the world who basically aren't dealing. With the with the coming changes, and they're not dealing violently sometimes. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Trav? Hmm. I would think, yeah, with constant seeing. Okay, you know, especially like during the Renaissance and the Industrial Revolution, being alive during those times, I would think you'd get real sick and tired of just abrupt 
technological and societal changes and cultural change. Because during the Industrial Revolution, we ended up getting things like the middle class and cities started forming massively. And just there were such abrupt changes to society because of massive influxes of technological growth. I could see where an immortal would just be like, I just want to live a quiet life. I've seen society, or what was the line from LXG? I've seen the future become history. And just Dorian Gray, Stuart Townsend playing that character, he was just, it was like on We Turn to Eleven because he had seen everything. And just, he had seen so much change that, yeah, I could see where an immortal would just not want to deal with just new upcoming concepts all the time because he'd spent thousands of years seeing that, especially yeah. during times like the Renaissance and the Industrial Revolution. And yeah. I, guess the, I guess the information age would work too because look, oh. at every, every six months your computer's outdated. Because new concepts are coming up constantly. Those young people are walking around looking at this little thing in their hand. What's wrong with them? <sighs> or they're talking to themselves. No, they're not. They're well, maybe well. And more changes will be coming beyond that. I mean, I could I could see this guy. He need every so often he says, "Okay, it's time for a sabbatical. I need to go someplace and put on my and put on my fur my my fur underwear, and hunt and hunt deer with my, with with, a, with and hunt deer with a with a uh, a spear I, I made myself, because dang it, I I can't stand this anymore. <laughs> I need to go back to the old days. I, I think Bruce brought a good point that many immortals just because they've seen it all, they would just have to step back when they realize that due to a technological revolution of some type that they know that their world is going to get turned upside down again because oh i got to learn all this new crap never mind yeah i'm going out back out to the mm. the hills and live off the land for maybe a couple decades yeah simplify 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 k i s s yeah yeah um the only problem is this guy next door in a cabin next door who keeps writing these treaties about things, and I think he's sending bombs out. But anyway, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and, and as far as um, Dorian Gray, I mean, his problem was that he um, he kept looking for more and more stimulation, and he ended up going into the most extreme um, sick uh, twisted kinds of behavior just to find something new to do. But the two the two instances of Dorian Gray I know of, of course, Stuart Townsend in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and I don't remember the actor's name. I I, I started watching Penny Dreadful, which for those of you who don't know it, imagine a much darker themed League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. It had Timothy Dalton yeah. in it. It was on Showtime for like three seasons. But Dorian Gray, folk, he was a freak. This man got into some freak nasty stuff because he was looking for the next big thrill. Oh, yeah. I mean, he things that people would consider to be torture, he actually, you know, was getting off on. Yeah. And that's the problem is that, you know, once you go that route, 
you know, you're you're eventually going to end up to the point where you just basically don't have sex anymore because there's just nothing out there that they can, can get a rise out of you. If I may use the euphemism, yeah, I've done you know seen it, done it, in all, in all twenty different positions. <laughs> so the, that ennui you're talking about would really hit hard in the romantic sense, where you might become an aesthetic just because. The other stuff is just seems you know you you're, you're bored with it. They the would be. I, I I imagine that person would would be gender fluid at that point too. And you know, it's like you know, I, you know, it it does it breed. I've I've had sex with it. <laughs> well, don't say that too loud because uh, through most of history, that you know, those are uh, hanging charges right there. Well, like. Well, I mean, for for Jack Harkness, his omnisexuality was due to just the cultural norms of that time. He came from what the fifty first century, where omnisexuality was the norm as as opposed to the exception of the rule. So yeah, you know, that's how he was. But an immortal, they would be that way just because it's like, do you know how it's like today? I think they, I think the current gender rules that I've seen floating around because I have many friends on that spectrum. Oh, they say there's 34 genders now. Variations on, you know, the, the gender binary is gone. And more will be like 34. Oh, honey, the things I've seen. <laughs> Just, they'd be like, there were 34 maybe about at, in the year 1624, you know. And that brings us to our next point, which is you you may behave inappropriately, even though it was appropriate at one time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Your behavior would be so anachronistic because especially, well, we your formative years. Let's say if your formative years were in the 1500s and you've now lived 600 years, oh, 500 years or so, yeah, your mannerisms that happened when you were in your teens yeah teenage person in you know the 15 1600s today they would just be looking at you like really (laughs) yeah i would see that as a problem is that you would have to what i'm looking for here you just would have to really observe people and the cultural norms and just in order to get in sync, because if not, you're just you're going to be the sore thumb. But it, stick out that much, you're going to be. But you're not. But you're not being dropped into it. You know, you're there as it develops. Uh, yes and no, John. I mean, because you know, you're. It depends on what you're doing. I mean, let me give you an example. Okay, uh, you know, let's say that at one time the you know. When you decided to wed, you'd go over and talk to the father of the young lady, and she could be 12 or younger, 
and um, and then you'd like offer a bride price, and uh, he'd have a little discussion amongst you know the you know his daughter or whether she was just totally outraged by you or something like that. And in which case he was like, okay, fine. And so this would be your bride, and you would take this young, very young woman, and have sex with her because that's what's appropriate. She would have children, and let's say. 40, 50 years later, she dies. Okay, now you're ready for a new wife. That that particular method of acquiring a wife is probably no longer in vogue. Or it's changed slightly in you know, yeah. some years since. Maybe more than slightly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. When you did, did the initial bride price, that was before the priest, that's this, this, this new Jesus priest showed up. And everything's now different, <laughs> right? And you know, you could and you could actually find yourself, you know, getting into a duel because you have insulted, you know, an, you know, an entire family by your behavior, and you were doing something that was considered very appropriate, even respectful, you know, sixty, seventy years before. Yeah, of course. There's, there's the other side of this, you, you know, where if you have someone who's far enough back, like that Neanderthal I mentioned. He yes, he initially went through the, a lot of the problems of changing cultural mores, but he's been around long enough to realize those cultural mores change. So he spends time to figure out what they are before he does things like asking around on a date. Right. Well, that's I'm saying. You you know, if you don't pay it, you know, take an effort to pay attention to these changing things to in, to to engage yourself. See, we we have the two things. We have the future shock which is caused by engaging yourself in changing culture. And then you have this thing where if you don't engage in changing culture, you find yourself behaving inappropriately because it's just the way things used to be and now it isn't those way anymore and you know, you have a you know a a, a tension going on between these two things. You know, uh, and uh, you might end up being unhappy no matter what you do. Yeah, and if you're recently immortal, say you realize you're immortal around, say, 1910. Well, you're so used to the fashions back. I mean, think about it. I was looking at some old-time photographs from that time period. People dressed up to go out. I mean, you know, you went outside, you put on a suit, a linen suit in summertime, something, something you wore in the wintertime. You wore a tie. You wore a hat. You had nice shoes. Oh, and if yeah, you were you, poor— you, you went out. You 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 always went out. What's the mentality? Dress in the clothes that you want to be dead in. You know that type of thing. You were yeah. always well done. You yeah. were and well. You were presenting yourself. You know. Yeah. And you curse Clark Gable for walking around in a t-shirt, ruining things. But you. But by God, you're gonna uh, you're gonna dress properly. Circa 1920. Yeah. <laughs> We need to bring back hats, not baseball caps, but actual hats, man. That... I look at my collection. <laughs> I have all different kinds of hats. I have, you know, I, you know, I even have a, a, a was it a Colonel Blake hat? Oh, the old fishing cap, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that, yeah. I have one of those, but without anything in it. Yeah, neither do I. I also got a Jane hat too, so. My wife knitted those for uh, for babies, I think. Actually, I have two. One for myself and one for a uh, figurine I got. So, 
but anyway, yeah, but yeah, 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 fashion sense for the recently immortal fashion sense and cultural norms, you know, those things are, will be hard to break initially. You need to be a really old immortal to have learned, you know, yeah, yeah, we, we, we don't, you know, we don't pray, we don't praise raw. We say hi, you know, <laughs> well, my, here, here's something that I've noticed and, and we're even seeing this now. Mm-hmm. Certain things have become cyclical. Yep. I mean, granted, it's due to our pop culture. Madonna, you know, will dress up like the 70s when she did, um, I want to say the Ray of Light albums. It was kind of disco-y. So for a little bit, the 70s were back in vogue, pun intended. And I just noticed that over certain decades... Myself and the young and out of us three here, I'm 48. I've noticed that certain things have come back in style after a while. Imagine an immortal. Certain may not be fashions, but certain cultural norms and certain ways of doing things. He'll be like, oh, it's like the 1730s again. Okay, I should fit in, pick yeah. up a bit of modern lingo. But it's just like it was when I was, you know, only 500. You know, something like that. They're going to notice certain... We humans are creatures of habit. After a while, cultural things are going to be, over the course of time, similar. And a an immortal who has really kept... What's the term? Up to date? Well, yeah, I was trying to do something a little more color. But yeah, um, keeps, you know, their ear to the grindstone or, you know, their, you know th- th- keeps mindful of these things. They're going to realize, yeah, this is kind of like how it was back then. Okay, if I just sort of, as I said, throw in a modern term here or there, I should pass yeah. for someone of this time. Yeah, I mean, from my from looking at uh, the historical dress and so forth, the Roman tunics and breeches and so forth weren't that much different than what we're wearing these days. I mean, the tunics are a little longer and, you know, but they had underwear. You know, and so, yeah, just the underwear is different and the shirt's now but up in the front instead of being pulled over the top of your head. But otherwise, it's pretty much the same clothing I wore back in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not everyone, not everyone wore togas. In fact, you know, most people wore tunics and breeches and stuff like that. So, yeah. Okay, so let's actually go on to the concept of wealth. Okay? See, now, you know, the... Most people are going to probably go the route of initially trying to gain property, you know, land, uh, because that's that was the very that's how people basically uh, created wealth uh, in 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 early in many places. I mean, you you have a farm, you work the farm, the farm does well, you hire people, you get get buy, you know, you sell your crops, take the excess, buy more land, enlarge your land, make it bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. Huge tracts of land, yes. Right, exactly. But then what happens, right? You know. Oh, we had a drought or we had a famine or we had, you know, plague of, you know, pests and... We have a war. Yeah. Somebody comes in and says, that's not your land anymore. That's somebody else's land. And they take it away from you. It's really hard to hide wealth of that kind. Yeah. Or they look and say, is that Olaf? Yes, that's Olaf. But he looks like he's 20 years old. Yes. 
How long has he been living there? 80 years. He's a witch. Let's burn him. No, it's more like he's got, it's got to be his son or his grandson or his great, great grandson. Yes. Yeah. 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 But you know, the Olaf the third or fourth. Yeah. I'm reminded. Why would they know that he hasn't aged? I mean, have they not aged? No, it's the, well, no, cause he keeps coming to town every day and it's like the same person and the, and the, the shopkeep who's now in his eighties going, it's still the same person. I know it's still the same person, you know? <laughs> Right. So I'm saying is that I don't think that, you know, that if if you're long lived, your wealth isn't going to be in land because it's going to get taken away from you sooner or later if you do. Yeah. Precious metals. Well, and, and so precious. So, yeah. So the idea is that, OK, I'm going to live a long time so I I can amass, you know, things that are valuable. All right. But the problem with that is. Like like tombs, what what? And also, what's valuable? Well, assuming that you know, throughout most of history, as you as you said, John, gold, silver, you know, various jewels, they tend they tend. Well, aluminum would be a bad choice, but yeah, as you say, you know, because it it it, be, it was so valuable and now it's worth nothing. But um, uh, but anyways, the, the point is, is that you might say that's how we that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep it like that. The problem with that is, is that you become a target. I mean, easily, you know, wealth that you can amass, that you can, you know, hide, also be, is easy for someone to cart away from you. So now you have to get into some kind of a... Now, now you're the red dragon guarding his horde. Or Alibaba, you know, you're basically trying to figure out where can I, you know, I, I now have my wealth in like five different holds all over the county. You know, I, I'm... You know, I, I I have it in a there's a, there's a thing in the bottom of the river, and then there's this cave, and then you know the third grave from the right. You know, you've dug it up, and you know, the last time they they reused that grave, you slipped you know a big bag of something in there, and you have to remember where all this stuff is because as time goes on, it gets a little bit hazy. You know, so it's tough to be able to amass large amounts of money. Uh, you know, unless of course you're even if you're royalty, because as soon as you know, as soon as you become royalty, then everybody wants to, you you to spend it on on paying for a church or paying for somebody's army. I mean, well, the only place I can think of is finding some misbegotten island someplace, and that's where you hide your treasure. But yeah. You know. Oh, so so now we're talking pirates, you know, and the lost, you know, treasure, yeah. So if you know some if you know some island where nobody ever goes, then yeah, bury bury your treasure there and don't go there very often because otherwise people are going to be suspicious and start. So why does he keep going there? You know, every every week I have my payday and half my money goes over the island. You're old enough to have seen rivers change courses many times. You're old enough. You're old enough to actually see a a mountain turn into a hill. You know, and th therefore you realize that island, one, two things will happen to it. One, it will erode away and, and forget, you know, everything gets scared to the four winds. Or it's a volcanic island, and you, we all know the trope. The volcano will erupt and bury everything even more better under, under thick coats of lava. Or there's a hurricane, and it just basically washes the it it washes the island, so scours the island, basically. And now the island doesn't look the same. Or it breaks into three islands, and 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 you go looking for your island, you can't find your island anymore. 
Or there's an earthquake and half of it falls into the ocean. Yeah. The half would, yeah. Well, that, that would be unusual. I mean, Well, no, that happened to Jamaica. Bermuda, actually. It happened to Bermuda. A good portion of Port Royal ended up in the bottom of, of, of the ocean, uh, bottom of the bay. I think, I think that's pretty rare. But, you know, I mean, it's still, it could happen. So, yeah, I mean, even if you have money. So, you know, you might end up being like the one of the characters in all, not Oliver Twist, the uh, Great Expectations. He had his portable wealth. And I don't know where he carried it, but he had like a big bag full of diamonds. And he, you know, and, and he told uh, the main character about it. But normally he would just... You wouldn't let anyone know that you had it. It'd be like a deep, dark secret, you know. And but here's the thing about diamonds. Diamonds are actually a recently rare thing. Really, that didn't happen to like Louis, Louis V or something like that. Before that, it was other gems, emeralds, sapphires. Yeah. Right. Well, this take uh, Great Expectations takes place in like the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, he chose gems that were valuable and small. So he could, you know, in a, a, a relatively small bag that he could hide on his person and it wouldn't look like he was carrying something valuable. He could actually carry quite a bit. But then there's converting those things into cash. That's always the problem. Well, yeah, you got to find somebody who wants it. There's always going to be a seller, uh, a buyer's market at that point. So, but if you carry specie, then it's heavy. Yeah. And it may be illegal, like like gold was in the United States. Uh, you know, after the after the Gold Bullion Act was kept, was was passed, you couldn't actually you know you could have jewelry, but you couldn't have gold specie of any kind. You know, they, we called it all back to the United States, and if you got caught, it was it was a criminal offense. So, yeah, yeah. So you have to. I think the only thing you have to sell you have to sell again is those skills you got you've accumulated over the years. You know, so yeah, and there's always someone who's willing to pay for it. I mean, the, uh, you both are familiar with the with the with the Society for the Creative Anachronism. Imagine having a guy who knows how to make the armor perfect. What would he charge for it? He'd charge enough to make a living off of it. Well, yeah, to make a living. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He'd be rich. No, he wouldn't be rich, but yeah, yeah. The thing is, you know, he's seen rich people, and he knows they, they're they're always worried about about their wealth. And where it is, it and he he says, okay, I need to make enough to be be happy, but not too much to be miserable. Yeah, what I wouldn't want to be is I wouldn't want to be a doctor because the the best the best clients for doctors are rich royalty and such, and they tend to kill you when when people die under your care. Yeah, 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 that's true. But um, one thing that you could spend that money on that might actually be useful to you. And again, now we're heading toward that direction, which is you could buy titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and, and at least that could provide you, if you became royalty or at least aristocracy, it could provide you with some protection. Because it's in most almost all countries and societies, if they have an aristocracy, it's illegal to attack them. And they have protections that other people don't. Like, for example, they... Uh, aristocracy usually can actually have a day in court when everybody else is summarily um, judged by usually somebody, you know, sitting on a on, on a barrel and uh, is, is hardly more than um, you know I don't know a quartermaster. Yeah, yeah, or, or or the aristocracy itself. You know, like basically, if you're if you buy a uh, say a um, uh, a man uh, like a knight not not knighthood but um. um 
oh, uh, a small earl, a small dukedom. Yeah, I'd say dukedom was what I was thinking. Or county, or become become an earl, which is a county, or basically some 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 middling lord. They have to call you lord. You know, so you know, basically, in depending on the time period, you were the judge. Yeah, you might, but the point here is, is that it, once you have a title, then you know you have people will have to show you certain amount of respect, a certain amount of protection. You know, you can call on people to behave in a certain way, and as long as it isn't you know terribly inconvenient for them to do so, they they may even you know be willing to you know they they would be duty bound you know, even. On, on fear of the of the of what might happen to their immortal soul if they didn't, you know, if you bought yourself a um, uh, a clerical title. Okay, the one problem with titles is that sometimes they become antiquated. Oh yeah, much like in England, where all of a sudden being a lord means you had you had to pay an insufferable property tax for your land, and none of them had. And yeah, and, and and of course, by that time, your serfs are now citizens of the town, and they weren't, you know, producing well for you anymore. You basically, yeah, that's when you end up selling off, selling off bits of your heritage at that point to make to make the, the next tax payment. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, but yeah, that, that's probably or as it as it happened in France, they decide they don't want to have lords lords and ladies anymore. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, again, that that's that's all that you know the tragedy we were talking about. I mean, you live long enough, you're probably going to lose everything. That's why I don't understand these these immortal rich people. You know, it's like they really shouldn't be that rich. You know, I mean, even well, food- like in Highlander, they'll sit there and will the money to somebody else, and they've already done the research. It's an identity that. The kid died in childbirth. You're assuming the identity. And when you, quote unquote, die, mm-hmm. that money is willed to that person. And you end up keeping your finances. And that works in modern times. But, but historically, that wouldn't have worked. I mean, and, and, it's, a, and it's a good example of, of like Duncan McLeod, okay, uh, and Connor McLeod. What do, what do they do for a living, okay? They run an antique shop. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Antiquary. Well, no, you're sitting there talking about titles that are no longer useful. And then you brought up Highlander. Yeah. And there's Sean Connery. My name is Juan Villalobos Sanchez Ramirez. I am chief metallurgist to King Philip II of Spain, and I'm at your service. Yeah, that's good. That, that's a good resume hook there, Juan. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> that, that and 25 cents will get you a cup of coffee in 1940. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I like the other. Where I can get coffee for a quarter. Yeah, <laughs> and I can see the, see the other problem of buying titles is is depending on when you froze. What age were you froze at when you became immortal? Twenty years old, callow, callow youth. You have no money. Go away. You know, when you're forty, well, it makes he's not long for the world. We'll sell it to him. You know, things like that. What what, what age are you? What age do you look like? More or less, if you and, and you know, if you're not the the the, the person who ages normally keeps on aging, you know, do you look at your twenty? Do you look at your thirty or your forty? And that could actually have some effect. You know, it's that young, is that young lord? Yeah, yeah, he thinks he's so full of himself, not realizing that young lord's been doing been running this this county now for the past two hundred years. 
We're talking about a very kind world in which you can live, go 80, 100 years, and nobody has a problem with it. Most likely, again, you would be forced to travel, relocate every 20 years or so. Oh, yes, you're Lord so-and-so of the so-and-sos, and and, and, and no one's going to question it because it's a new group of people you're talking to. All they know is the title, you know, and, and maybe the lineage. And you also got to remember back in the day you got to remember many people you know until relatively recently if you traveled more than 10 miles from where you lived that was your big trip of your life you just didn't leave your small town because they were self-sufficient everything you needed was there news only traveled when people went from one town to another like you know merchants yeah exactly so you, yeah, so information didn't get spread. So you could do that. You could pick, and even as recently as the old West, if you went from like one end of Nebraska to the other, you could come up with your own identity. Nobody would question it. But you would have to keep doing that. That's again, why land is a problem. You don't want to do that because you're going to end up having to leave it. Yeah, and you end up being, you know, if you want to remember all your titles, it's like, it'll be 10 minutes where I recite all my titles, you know. It'd be like reciting me, me reciting all the titles from my show, yeah. Uh, yeah, I had it's like, like 28 of them. And, yeah. and as you said, yeah. these, these people, I mean, <laughs> these immortals have been forced to travel, and they travel a lot. I mean, depending on when they became immortal... You know, they've may have they've may have that the Anarthal may have gone to may have gone to the new world. Said, "Oh, this is interesting," and came back. Well, the bridge was still up. The the, the, the Bering Bridge was land bridge is still up, and then went back to Europe. And like he may have been everywhere, literally, in his lifetime. In, in six in, in a hundred thousand years, he's been everywhere. You know, <laughs> yeah, and you know, he see he see he's seen he's and, that, and, and that's the reason why he's traveling. He, he wants to see something new. So he keeps yeah, traveling. A lot of yeah. a lot of immortals would have ennui cranked to eleven. Yeah. Now we are talking about people who are mentally normal. Now, what ha- would happen if you if you were say ADHD and immoral? Yeah. Or if you were somewhere in the autism spectrum and immoral. Oh, speaking as the resident Aspie here, that would drive me well. Yeah, constant change, having to move. Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) Don't sign me up. Yeah, mental note here, folks. Don't sign Trav up to be immortal. No, that would be a bad move. Um, No, that would would bug me because I'd have to constantly pick up. I'd have to constantly, well, 20 years. Well, no, I'd get set in my patterns. No, I would not like that at all. You take that job as bell ringer at Notre Dame. Yeah, yes. just oh, sanctuary, God. sanctuary. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or or you or you you find the perfect job. You're the guy who dresses the Pope every day. You've been there forever, literally. Yeah. Well, and, and again, if you're the kind of person that can live like that, that's fine. I I think that most people would go crazy doing that. But if you're person who truly hates change you know on a almost a uh, 
a sickness level, then yeah, that 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 would be good. You know, there 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 are places where you can go where literally nothing ever changes. You know, uh, the the wil- the far wilderness. Um, you know, churches, certain churches. Yeah, he says it. So was Pope so and so Pope Jane? He goes, I do not tell. <laughs> they both. They all wear skirts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Wrong yeah. with that, yeah. yeah. No. All right, so let's move on at this point. Let's, unless you guys have something else, because I've run out of my my points. Um, let's move on to time travel and how that compares to the issues of being long live. No, I think we've, as Blix used to say, killed that subject. I think we can move on to the next one. Yeah. All right. Okay. So the first thing I have is that one of the biggest problems with time travel is that food doesn't taste right. Nope. You go back far enough, uh, the only thing you'll have is salt, if that. If that. I mean, depending on where you're, where you're going, or if there is spices, they're expensive, and unless you've got the dosh to pay for them, you're having everything. Basically, just be salt. It's about, it's about all you'll get in your diet, and you get lots of it. Right. But not just that. I mean, everything that we eat today has been... Oh, yeah. Pasteurized, preserved, Yeah. Well, I mean, not just that, but I mean, they have blended various plants together. I mean, what what is now bread? I mean, what's wheat used to be just grasses. Oh, so was corn. Corn was a grass too, and they just grew it over centuries yeah. to the form you know today. Well, you go back a number of centuries, and you're going to find out it's a lot more grassy than than corny. And and all yeah, bread and, and carrots, the the orange long carrots that we know today. No, 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 no. Carrots, I think, at one time were purple or they were white, and they've just been modified to where we know them as the orange root vegetables that we and all know. You, know you, get the, you get the blame? The Dutch. Because the, what's, the, what's the Dutch royal color? Orange. Ah. They, they, they found a few errant hybrids that were orange and said, let's breathe them, you know, for, you know, for William of Orange. Okay. But that's the point. The point is that when you time travel, uh, uh, the food isn't going to be as you remember it, as you're used to it. All yeah. bread's going to be sourdough. I mean, basically, if it rises, it's been risen because it's coming off a starter. I mean, it's pretty much uh, when you look back in history, most breads were made were if were were, were sourdoughs. There's a starter out there; they're keeping you alive. And when it times to make a new batch, you take some of the starter, put edge the edge the edge of the mix, and the yeast in there then lets the bread rise. But yeah, pretty much all bread was sourdough at the time, and and we're talking native yeast, not not not, not yeah. So that you get some funky flavors because of those native yeasts. <sighs> May impart certain uh, flavors and textures you may not be may not be used to. <laughs> and and when we were talking about long lived, I mean, you might have your favorite dish, which over time the constituents change to the point where it doesn't taste like as you remember it. Oh, um, that has to, that's actually happened in our lifetime. My mom used to complain about 
uh, pork was a lot ju- was a lot juicier and had different flavor than the current pork. Yeah, because we bred the fat out of most pigs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and chickens were were scrawnier and tougher because, well, we bred you know, chicken for at least we chicken for eating. Chickens now, the bigger breast meat and thigh meat and all that. And you see a picture of a turkey from 1910 and a turkey from now. You're going, are they the same bird? <laughs> well, it's the same thing with dogs. You know, the dogs, the species of dogs we have today didn't even exist a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they, if they did, we've modified them further. Selective breeding, yeah. Yeah. So food's not going to taste right because, A, you know, it, the, the food itself, the, the, the basic constituents are have been altered over time. B, the, the flavors and, and the things that we usually use in the preparation of that food don't exist or they're very rare or you just can't get them all together at the same time because you know as you said there's salt but you know your garlic's going to be you know, might have trouble finding the garlic and you're not going to get any of that uh, uh, special uh, saffron flavoring oh pepper pepper was you know, you know unless you're unless you're unless you're uh, in the noble family or of the upper echelon you're not getting pepper yeah, pepper was as valuable as gold. But I mean, also all the other peppers. I mean, we in America, we eat all kinds of peppers that that have come part of the Mexican culture. Okay, if you were in Europe, you know those things didn't you know didn't exist. So getting a, getting a good taco in in uh, in Paris in the 1600s is going to be impossible. The foods that came from the New World: tomatoes, corn, peppers, coffee. Um, no, coffee is from coffee's from 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 the Middle East. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah, chocolate, chocolate. chocolate. Yes, all these foods that we take for granted now. You go back in time a certain lane. You're going to go to Paris and then yeah, I want a chocolate bar. They're going to look at you and go, "What's chocolate?" If you want, because if you if you want a, your favorite alcoholic beverage, oh, you know, uh, wine will be sour. I will tell you that wine will be sour, and up until the 14th century, beer's a sweet drink. Ooh, well, I like craft beer, so that might work for me. No, no, we're talking <laughs> like like a malted milk sweet. Ooh, that might be a little too rich for me then, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that you know, you're going to be drinking a lot of that because – the water was bad basically everywhere. A lot of people drank alcohol because the water was horrible. My, fa- no. my, favorite, my favorite quote is, you get a glass of the water from the well and a glass of, of beer, put them side by side, and you'd be hard-pressed to tell the difference. Yeah. But not only that, the water was dangerous. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it wasn't just like, you know, I mean, when we say bad, I mean, it was, it, 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 it was contaminated. Uh, even getting it on your clothing could actually get you sick. Yeah, there were modern filtration systems like we have all our water processing plants now. No, we, yeah. you, you drink water even a hundred years ago, and there's stuff in it that. And that's one reason why, if someone comes up to you and says, you know, I'd like, some, you know, would you like some water? And you're like, no, no, no. And he says, well, it's well water, and you're like, well, okay then, okay, it's you know, or. Uh, you know, because it's they're taking it from now. Assuming, of course, that something hasn't fallen in there and died, or the cows pooped in pooped into it, or something. But I'm just saying, is it because it's coming off the water table and has had the natural filtration of the ground around? It's actually probably safer. It's certainly safer than that river, that stream 
Okay, that everything has been in. Yeah. yeah. Including dead animals and other things. So, yeah, you don't want to drink out of a river if you can avoid it. Now, that's the one benefit of going to the Roman era. The Romans had clean water. Yeah, their aqueducts, they got it from, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, basically clean water, wells, you know, roads everywhere. I mean, yeah, yes, you know, you got to deal with slavery. Yes, you got to deal with... Yeah, what did the Romans ever give us? Yeah. Toxic <laughs> masculinity and stuff like that. But still, you'd have, you know, the, the definitely, the Rome, it, it, that's the one thing you can be guaranteed, the water would be pure. Now, it would be hard because they use limestone for a lot of their stuff. So, of course, it would yeah. be hard water. But it's still be, but it won't, but it, but it's be the cleanest, purest war you'll get until modern day. So, no, yeah. Bruce, you had mentioned something about as far as food tasting different. That you guys basically said the one constant would be that there'd be a lot of salt. I don't know, if I, John. You're relatively a foodie. I know you know your various foods and drinks. Have you ever heard of the spice mixture known as adobo? Yes. Okay, Habibi introduced me to the concept. Okay, all right. And it's like pepper, turmeric, and three or four other spices. It, it's funny because they have a Spanish adobo. And then when the Spaniards, you know, they traveled throughout the world, Spanish Armada, they got to the Philippines. And despite separate cultures on opposite sides of the planet, they both had adobo. Other than maybe a very, and I think they even called it the same. They use the same word strangely, and just the Philippines, like we've had this for hundreds of years. It's oh. like, well, we had it in our culture too. But there are so one word for that. Were there. One word for that: Portuguese. The Portuguese went everywhere, and they wherever they went, they set up shop and they set up their own food. So cultures. you're saying that the Portuguese may have spread the concept to a, of adobo a long time ago to the Philippines. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. well, well, because the Portuguese, and this is something I experienced a few years ago, the Portuguese conquered a small part of the west coast of India in about 1510. Mm-hmm. It's where they got, where Indians got the concept of Vindaloo. It's a small culture. When they fused, it was called Goan, G-O-A-N. Mm-hmm. And they fuse their cultures together. So, yeah, the Portuguese, that makes sense. The Portuguese might have brought Spanish adobo to the Philippines ages ago. And then when the Spaniards finally got there, they may have forgotten that the Portuguese gave it to them. They made the Filipinos may have just adopted oh, yeah. it themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, like, and not, not saying there wasn't spicy food. There was horseradish uh, and Ooh. mustard seeds. You know, mustard, oh, these yeah. plants grew everywhere. So you would, you know, if you want spice, you would get horseradish and mustard. You know, and those things that people actually could, could grow in their backyard because they ate mustard greens. Hmm. Okay. You know, and horseradish is, is a fairly easy to grow root vegetable that's like everywhere. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. 
It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org, colon 8027.